Hello and welcome to Color Commentary. Today I'm joined by my friend Monica Chung. When I think of Monica, I always think of the third of four Chung sisters, the life of any party or crowd with a vibrant spirit who loves good food, good wine, and good adventure. We've gotten to connect over the years, but one area I realized I've never gotten to talk in depth with Monica, or should I say Dr. Monica Chung with, is on her long and successful medical journey. She completed her residency training at University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas and is currently training as a reproductive endocrinology and infertility, aka REI specialist, to gain experience in the diagnosis and treatment of infertility. She's doing that here in Houston, which is how we got to reconnect and I'm super excited to have this conversation today so without further ado Monica hi hi Angie thanks for having me (laughs) thanks for agreeing to um, come on and share your story I met Monica through church I guess yeah I would say kind of through church I think my parents, when they originally immigrated from Korea, they lived in Houston, Texas. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And so they actually, when my dad was there, he was friends with a mutual friend of your guys' dad, Paul Song's dad. Oh, and okay. So, <laughs> I didn't know any of that. And then so when we moved from Oregon to Texas, my father and Paul Song's dad, they rekindled the relationship and then when we like my family flew and um met up with them that's how we were introduced to your family and then now yeah our parents are now friends yeah very independently yeah yeah, yeah, hang out on their own oh i didn't know paul was the yeah his yeah 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 his his parents oh and how did how did they meet just through i think they met through church Back and they then. were in Houston, yes. Because mm. my dad was a medical student and he was at dental Baylor. or what? Yes. I'm assuming a, he was yeah, yeah, I think he was in, we'll have to ask Paul. Yeah. But I think, but I think he was, yeah, doing some training here in Houston. Interesting. And so, yeah, I remember us meeting at maybe your house where it was like a lot of daughters. No, I think it was. Was it it my was house? not my house. Maybe it was Paul's. I think it was, Paul. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> Paul's house. I think it was Paul's house. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember what his house looks like right now. But yeah, I'm, it's probably not yours either because we probably connected that day. Yeah. And then you guys were all sisters. I was like, oh my gosh, like so many sisters. But I think it was only you. Was it you, Tiffany, and Elizabeth? Elizabeth. But mm-hmm. Amy never came. Amy was, I think, in um, austin Already in yeah, college. Yeah, she was in college at UT Austin. Oh, got it. And so then we met then, but then I feel like you guys disappeared because you went back to Oregon? Yes. Okay. So during that time, we visited, went back to Oregon, and then about, I think, six months to a year later, we decided to finally make the move to Texas. Um, and I can go, yeah, there were some delays in like our moving and things oh. like that where I I stayed back in Oregon for a year on my own after my parents had moved to mm. Texas. And so I lived with, yeah, our good family friend. And then um, I moved after I graduated high school. And then I went to Baylor. Yes. Straight away. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I have a lot of questions on our personal connections that I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. the details to. But you're here because I wanted to hear you share your story on the journey to becoming MD and all the kind of crazy accomplishments you have achieved throughout that time. And I don't think I've ever really heard you not 
like humble brag about it but like whenever we did connect or hang out it was always just about like what's happening in our lives or like personal things right. or like just having fun and i never thought to realize oh like monica's doing like med school schooling right now and then she's also doing residency and then now like you're <laughs> doing fellowship yes. yeah yeah um so i would love to just kind of hear how you embarked on that journey i feel like that's a big decision to make yeah. and i don't know like since this is a focus with like you know our korean american community as well i was wondering like if being korean or if that identity also played a part in this decision or if not like what other factors kind of led you there i mean i think certainly being you know i think i had a heavy influence from my parents mm-hmm. um whether them or me being korean american had any influence that i I'm not sure, um, but definitely, you know, my parents immigrating here from Korea at a younger age, like in their teens, um, oh. and then mm-hmm, and then my father um, getting training in medicine and being a physician that definitely I think opened doors early on and really um, kind of gave me that exposure early on that I knew um, that Mm. that could be a possibility for me in the future. Mm. We would just visit him like in the hospital and at his work Mm. um, and then so when I was younger I thought I wanted to be a doctor and then yeah. Because you want to be like your dad. Yeah 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 (laughs) exactly and then Kind of as I got older, like in middle school and high school, um, I was more influenced, I think, with my friends and maybe um, flirted with the idea of potentially going into business or in another mm. direction. Um, but, but then when I was in high school, when I was 16 in my junior year, my mom was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Mm. And so, um, and stomach cancer is not common in the United States. It's a pretty common cancer in Asian countries like Japan, Korea, and China, um, but it's pretty rare in the United States. And so that's why we decided to stay back in Oregon um, a year. Our move was delayed a year Uh. later um, because of her diagnosis um, and then just finding like the best surgeons. And Mm. then, um, yeah, she had to undergo chemotherapy and radiation. So I definitely think... That exposure, um, me being, um, I was essentially her primary caretaker at that time. Mm -hmm. I definitely think it revealed my strengths of, um, you know, being able to be empathetic, having that caregiving side. Mm. I think that definitely emphasized my strengths and qualities of being potentially a good good doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also I think being, like my strengths in school were always like, math and science Mm -hmm. and things like that I was never really great at like liberal arts writing or history Mm -hmm. and so I think that you know you typically go towards what you're good at yeah naturally um so I think that definitely also played a role so then was when your parents did move to Texas she had successfully yes um, gotten better yes so when we were in Oregon Mm -hmm. she got surgery so basically um she got what was essentially like um, you know, when people do bari- get ba- bariatric surgery mm-hmm. to lose weight, mm-hmm. that is essentially what she did, but it mm-hmm. was out of obviously necessity. So she had a very, very small portion of her stomach remaining. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after, she underwent like very intensive chemotherapy and radiation. So mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, your stomach plays a huge role because yeah. your ability to eat um, and absorb nutrients and food. So she was pretty, even after all of that treatment for many years, I think it was, it played a huge significant role in her body. Yeah, and even she's right. in remission now and has yeah. been in remission from her stomach cancer, but still it can, you know, it does affect her because her stomach is still not the same as it was before her yeah. cancer. 
I think Matt's mom, I'm pretty sure it was also stomach cancer that she had because, oh. and, and, and I just wonder like a connection even with his sister who is a bariatric surgeon today too. And, and just hearing your story just kind of made me think of that. But I don't know oh, if there would be a linkage. I didn't know she was that. a bariatric surgeon. Yeah. Is that the G-I-M-I-S, any of those? Uh, yes. Minimally, minimally. Yes. Surgery. Yes. And then, and then you specialize in the bariatric. Surgery? <laughs> yeah, I think you can go. My in laws are all. I think you doctor. can go. I think you can go like GI route, mm-hmm. um, and you can do some bariatric surgery that way, and then you can also go like the general surgery, yeah. like onc onco yeah, surgery. Yeah. That I route think she's as well. on the special. Well, yeah, because like she did the GI. Yeah, yeah, she did like a GI fellowship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. They okay. were like somewhere cold for like one year, one or two years for the oh, fellowship. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, she probably does those type of period, but the. For cancer patients, it's a little bit different because especially if your staging is more advanced, they want to resect all of the cancer, including your lymph nodes. So you have to have a surgeon that specializes in like removing all those lymph nodes chains like right next to large vessels. Oh. Mm-hmm. I also like never talked about like smart sounding like I just always like, we always have fun I feel like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah, learning exactly. all these stuff I'm like, yeah, oh my yeah, god yeah there's just, yeah there's just like a lot of nuances and yeah specific information that we've just never talked about yeah okay I like this well okay I thank you for sharing that and I'm yeah I feel like I've always heard about your mom going through cancer or like recovering and I, yeah I'm glad that she has had a good recovery overall, yes I yes like. yes yes Even we are very other, very blessed yeah, yeah, yeah definitely um okay so then with that being a big part and like getting to see your dad also practice which i think would be so cool growing up like um what did that journey look for look like for you where you became in or you got accepted into med school and then started this very very long journey Yeah, so I definitely think, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of Asian American parents, their quote dream is for their children to like, you've done the dream, (laughs) go into medicine or something or, you know, like, go to an Ivy League school, Mm -hmm. just be successful because they obviously have sacrificed a lot. My mom was really, both my parents were always supportive in whatever I wanted to do. Mm. And um, honestly, I think for all my sisters and I, not that they didn't have high expectations, but I think that they're they didn't really know what to expect. And so mm. they never really anticipated that any of us would go into healthcare. Mm, which it, you all did. Yeah, wow, exactly. Okay. And my my father, um, he actually, you know, he I think had some reservations about any of us going into medicine. Mm. Um, and especially when I was talking to him about potentially applying to medical school, I think he did have some reservations because – when he was training, there were no duty hours. So he was working yeah. 100 plus hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. My mom would hardly see him. And so I think he was really concerned about that work-life balance. Yeah. Um, and when I was ready to start a family, I think that was yeah. one of his main concerns. Mm. Um, and so when I initially made that decision, obviously both of my parents were very supportive. Um, it started in my journey started in college obviously um I feel blessed because I knew pretty early on in college that I wanted to go into medical school Mm. and so I knew as much as I did at that time how the sacrifices and what it takes to get there um specifically I think 
grades, yeah. um, extracurricular activities, and then um, your MCAT or like your your board score before applying mm-hmm. to your, your exam entrance score before going into medical school. And I had two older sisters who were already in college. And so they would always talk about, you know, how, um, how kind of a culture shock mm-hmm. starting college yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think I kind of anticipated that it was going to be difficult. And so knowing that, um, I think I kind of just wanted to be successful and get good grades at the beginning. So yeah, all throughout college, um, obviously just trying to focus on my grades and shadowing opportunities, doing research, getting immersed in like volunteering and extracurricular activities, um, and then eventually applying to medical school and getting accepted. And that was a four-year journey. And I did that. I went to medical school at Texas Tech in El Paso. Uh That was definitely a also a culture shock. Um, yeah. Just being yeah, Location. so far west. Yeah. But yeah. I loved it. Um it was a newer medical school and it was on the border, obviously, of Mexico, yeah. Juarez, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so we saw a lot of lower socioeconomic status patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That patient population ended up being really similar to the patient population that I had when I was in residency at oh. UT Southwestern Parkland, Parkland. Dallas. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, inter- really interested me in pursuing oh, yeah, my residency at Parkland. Cool. Like they call the hospital in El Paso like a mini Parkland. Wow, yeah. so that really set you up for what you kind of wanted to yeah. go into after. exactly. So mm-hmm. I did four years of medical school in El Paso, then four years of residency in Dallas. Um, and then um, I am finishing my second year out of three years of fellowship here in Houston. Oh, so that's like four plus four plus four plus three? Eleven. Yeah, 11 post graduate yeah 11 plus years four, of post 15 training. wow you've done 15 out of high school that like if you include Baylor in there that's a lot of because yeah. people just have like four years of school yeah <laughs> yeah 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 if that yeah because not but everyone. 11 like medical training years yes wow. yes yes it's definitely been a long journey um I'm definitely ready to (laughs) start working were there Um, moments within that journey where like you thought about quitting that's a really good question I actually I never I've actually never thought about quitting and I think probably the most likely time for most people is Mm -hmm. during residency just Mm -hmm. because the training and the hours are so vigorous Mm -hmm. and it's something that's completely different than what we've ever experienced Mm -hmm. we're used to studying and um you know if that's we, true exactly if we test well and if we do well on exams then we find our fulfillment in that mm-hmm. but in residency you're really working and seeing patients and if you have a bad outcome or a bad interaction with like a patient or one of your colleagues yeah that's completely different than anything you've ever done so i've actually never thought about quitting i would say i think One of the most difficult times for me was actually in college when I was taking my MCAT. I am definitely more of a like a social person and I you're a very good social <laughs> person yeah yeah and I definitely prefer to um, I think that's why I love clinical medicine so much mm-hmm. because really the highlight is you know talking to my patients and um, treating them and managing patients um, and so I think really just you know studying all day every day especially yeah. like in the summers when all my friends are you know hanging out I that was I think a huge and I was still pretty young I was yeah. I think how old was I like 21 yeah, yeah I guess like 21 yeah. when I was like studying for the MCAT so I think at that point in my life it felt like a lot like yeah. a huge sacrifice yeah. like am I willing to do this um but you know retrospectively it 
obviously paid paid off but that was yeah i would say one of the most difficult times in my life i don't know like i feel like that would just be very isolating it was yeah i would like go to the um my sister was in dental school thankfully and so she Mm. would go to the library and study i felt really lucky because i would go to the library with her and her friends and Mm. i actually you know i would have some people to study with but like when she would go on summer break really there was nobody it was yeah yeah it was a little bit depressing like going to the library and forcing myself to like study in a cubicle like eight hours a day by myself so well you did it yeah (laughs) I know I know um I guess like one side question I had from when you were sharing was just it sounds like your family is very good at communicating like your dad sharing his reservations because even like Jaden for his tour which is like the one year uh-huh. for korean and they're like you pick an item and he picked the stethoscope and oh, yeah. i like freaked out and i don't know why but i just like i think as a significant other watching that journey has been so stressful to like it's just a lot you know and like so i think like someone who's lived it like your dad like to share his reservations or just like clearly let you know like what are things that could be difficult and then like your sister is sharing with you like what the culture shock looks like in college like, i feel like those are conversations i don't think are normal in korean families do you guys have a good standard for communication or like healthy communication or is it just like emotions back and forth with that you know I definitely do feel blessed I think my family just naturally we are very close Mm -hmm. I mean our family is not without yeah you know strained Mm -hmm. relationships in the past obviously you know growing up with three sisters yeah (laughs) us three older ones being you know Tiffany and I are only 11 months apart and then her and Amy are only like 16 months apart so your mom had y'all in residency when right? my dad was in residency like when i think when i hear that story now i'm just like oh my gosh your mom is like my a poor superwoman. mom i know my <laughs> and also mom. your poor mom yeah, yeah and she was uh yeah and then she also taught especially piano. when duty hours weren't yeah, a thing exactly <laughs> so he would like my mom said that he would come home from work like late at night they'd be eating dinner and my dad would literally fall asleep yeah, while he was eating he's just, so like, tired too yes he's just like exhausted but she also was but exhausted so, too i know that that's so hard yeah exactly um and so and she was a piano teacher yes i didn't know that so okay. she was a piano teacher um i think when we were a little bit older yeah. probably like in elementary school mm-hmm. but even then she would teach piano at home and she was a piano teacher, but still technically a stay-at-home mom because mm-hmm. we didn't, she didn't have a nanny or anyone to watch us. So mm. if we were fighting or if we had like an emergency or some sort of extracurricular activity we had to go through to, she would have to fit all of that in wow. between all of her students. Yeah. So I definitely think, you know, both my parents have made a lot of sacrifices. Yeah. And I think, you know, I... I would say my sisters and I are more Americanized. And I think, mm. so when my oldest sister, Amy, was young, she only spoke Korean. Oh, okay. And so when she went to preschool, she didn't speak at all uh-huh. because she didn't know how to communicate with right. others. And she was also pretty shy. And so mm. I think that concerned my parents a little bit. And so mm. since that time, they started speaking English to her. Uh. And I think that's how the trend where me, my parents and I, the children speak English to them. That's kind of where it stems from. You know, I can read and write Korean because I went to Korean school when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. But I can't speak Korean fluently. Mm-hmm. You know, I think my parents want us to learn Korean, but I do feel blessed that I can communicate with my parents freely yeah, in yeah, one language. Yeah. You know, my parents, I think, have a really good understanding of, you know, our culture, like being in the American culture. Yeah. And we, I don't know, we just all naturally like communicate well with each other. Yeah. Like my sisters and I are all very close and 
we obviously have a like a family group text and so mm-hmm. um we talk yeah on that and yeah my parents are just good wow. at communicating with us because i'm thinking she's trying to parent you guys while she's also working but i i always hear like sisters like now are like the best friends ever but if you're like close in age like i'm sure there's like just way more fighting than yeah you know to, like when yeah. you're younger i feel like you all i only hear of like the ones that are like close sisters like but oh it's, we're close now but back in the day it was like terrible yeah. or something so, so like, tiffany oh and i fought the most the most because elizabeth is six years younger yeah, than me so yeah. we were all we were kind of in a different stage in life right and it was hard for me because being the third i always had to share a room with someone amy mm. would always get her own room and then <laughs> tiffany and i always shared uh-huh. until you know we moved and then when elizabeth was there i had to share with her so oh, and that's like a huge age difference yes oh. yes yes so i remember i was like i think i was in middle school when she was in elementary school and i've always oh. been a little bit like ocd about cleanliness uh-huh. and she's like you know she's young so uh-huh, she's like playing uh-huh. with her barbies but i would i remember i would get like <laughs> so upset with her like her barbies and her toys being everywhere but we've definitely come a long way but yeah mm-hmm. i've and definitely you guys are the ones in houston together. yeah I, I know i know but i've definitely learned yeah how to share so mm-hmm. okay thanks for going on tangent with me okay so if we're going back to like yeah the way that you were able to navigate through med school and then residency and now fellowship i guess one of the questions I would be curious to know a little bit more about would just be like since you are a woman and specifically an Asian American woman kind of like if you would be comfortable sharing any problems or issues that might have arose due to that part of your identity you know personally I've never felt discriminated against in like since I've been in this profession you know definitely living in Oregon Asians the community that I lived in Asians were definitely the minority and yeah. everyone that I went to school with they were either white mm-hmm. ma- majority were white and then uh, some Hispanics mm-hmm. but okay. my sisters and I and then maybe there were like a handful of other Asians um, in like a graduating class of like six seven hundred so I think growing up you know in a predominantly um, non-Asian community I definitely experienced not discrimination but you know just comments and things that people would say not intentionally I don't think um, but that were a little bit offensive but you know since being in college and um, medical school and residency I really haven't had like no discrimination for being a woman or being Asian around Mm. like my colleagues or my attendings. Occasionally, with patients, occasionally I have. You know, I look younger than my age. And so a lot of them don't necessarily think. Yes, yes, yes. Like have reservations. (laughs) Like a lot of them think that I'm like, I've gotten like that I look like I'm in high school. or um, Do 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 you watch Friends? No. Oh, there's, okay, there's this episode where Phoebe, she's delivering and Mm -hmm. they send a young looking resident Uh to like to help deliver and then she like, not cusses him off, but it was like, oh, you need to go. I, it just made me yes, think of that. Yes, like, yes, that's yes, like an yes. example of what you might have been like. Well, and yeah, even sometimes my, you know, I think men in OBGYN residency is a minority. Mm. Right, um, right. That's so true. yeah, maybe there's like 10% male. And so, you know, a lot of the female residents and I would say that some individuals yeah. like show favoritism towards them. Like we felt like sometimes uh, it could yeah, get away with more. I, not, I don't know if that was necessarily true or not. Right, but, right, right. Yeah, sometimes we did experience that do you think being in this field helps with being a woman or do you think in general this field has gotten more progressive in not being discriminatory if that makes sense yes that does make sense i think that our community and our society is 
definitely, you know, mm. trying to provide like gender equality. Mm-hmm. And especially I think in medicine, I think they are really trying to do that just by, I don't know exactly what, st- if they've nationally like taken any steps like mandatory like right 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 but there are certainly like a lot of surgical subspecialties um where women certainly are the minorities mm-hmm. so like i think neurosurgery for example it's a seven-year residency mm-hmm. and there just aren't very many women mm-hmm. in the subspecialty for whatever reason um but i think definitely being a korean american female in medicine like i definitely feel like I have a responsibility to I think just like representing my culture and then also representing being a woman Mm. um, and showing that you can have you know you can experience work-life balance um, and be genuinely happy and genuinely passionate about what you're doing you know I think a lot of people sometimes you know people will generalize and think that you know my parents quote made me go into this this field um and they think you know they don't necessarily know if i'm happy but yeah i truly do love what i'm doing and Mm. i don't think and i do i think that's really really important i think you you know need to love what you're doing every day and then um also outside of work i think not making medicine your identity but also finding happiness and other things that you're doing yeah i feel like you represent the things you said you wanted to represent well right because like i i think there are people who make this everything for them you know and like while it is definitely a huge part of who you are and where like where you've spent the last 11 plus years right of your life the fact that you also show that other side that you're saying like passion about other things in life I think that's all I ever thought about when I thought of you even though I should also think about the MD yeah, too yeah, you know yeah, but like yeah. I think that's because you also did that well like show yeah. that life ba- work-life balance do yeah. you have specific things you do to make sure that you have that work-life balance because this is like a really demanding field and like a demanding specialty and now mm. even this next step right and so I'm just curious how that works for you because on the outside it seems like you carry a great social life and connect with all your relationships you know so it's like oh my gosh how does she do it all and now that I know what it takes to be in this kind of journey it's not easy at all time consuming and I just want to know how you do it and yeah how you could advise young yeah. women to do yeah I definitely think you know it is also part of my personality and my nature mm-hmm. I think I am more extroverted and I find uh, enjoyment and fulfillment in relationships um, whether Mm. it be at work and outside of work and so you know I think a huge influence has really been my family okay my father you know he was a physician and works a lot but he always prioritized his family and Mm. his faith my family were Christian and so he his relationship with God he always his put that focus Mm. on his purpose in life and why he's doing this. Mm. Um, And so I think that really throughout my journey um, in becoming a doctor has really kept me grounded. Mm. But I think, yeah, I do think that a lot of times, you know, in different journeys and stages of my life, you know, in residency, for example, I was working 80 to 100 hours a week. Oh my gosh. But, and I chose that, you know – Depending on what subspecialty you go mm-hmm. into, I think it's important to find training, like a residency training program that really suits right. your personality and your needs. So, yeah. you know, being at Parkland, it's the biggest OBGYN residency in the nation. So, wow. we, mm-hmm, so we take 18 residents a year. And so that's 72 residents total. Mm-hmm. Typically, most OBGYN residencies, they take maybe about five a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's much bigger. But what I really loved 
about being there was I just got along with everyone that I work with. I've made Mm. some of like my closest and dearest friends like Mm. in residency. And so we always made an effort at work to just really enjoy what we were doing. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think just always constantly having a positive outlook and a mindset in everything you do Mm -hmm. um, because it's really easy to become negative and get bogged down. And I think that if that becomes – that can become a habit um, and then it's just a mental habit and you Mm -hmm. kind of just go in a downward spiral. And so even like after like we would be working like a 14, 16 hour shift and we would all, I know, and we would all still like go out and like get a drink together or like do happy hour or like go to Mm -hmm. each other's places and yeah, talk about like the day and just enjoy each other's company. So I think you really – Like for me, that's important. I think you have to find what's important to you and what works for you. And so I think I've always prioritized, you know, spending time with family, friends. And obviously I love eating. Yeah. I like (laughs) drinking wine. Um, I really enjoy exercising. So those have Mm. all been really great outlets to relieve stress and find Mm. that work-life balance. I I was reading on ESTP, the Myers-Briggs, and thank you for taking it. Oh yeah, yeah. I took like, yeah. it's it's the entrepreneur and like uh, you like you're very good at being in the moment and living in the moment and being able to like bring that alive or like obviously also like super so like super attractive charismatic people and things like that. But I think that's really helpful as I'm listening because it just sounds like you choose to live life in the present with residency too. Because I I know like sometimes like um, people can like okay once this is done then I can do my life after. But it's like that choice to make that a part of your life and let that be your community makes it not that much I mean it's still a 16 hour shift but then it's like your community and so you're living life with people and I feel like that's so important and something a lot of residents feel like they're missing yeah and I think just in general like not just in medicine but to always remember like I always try and remind myself I will never be in this exact situation in my life ever again Mm -hmm. so you know being in residency working those long hours or like being in like a really long surgical case, like an eight-hour surgical case. Like, mm. yes, that's physically, like, exhausting. But, you know, these all these experiences are making me a better clinician and a better mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And also, I will never be yeah. in this same situation. So when I moved to Houston, you know, I wanted to stay in Texas. Okay. Um, and they have a – they have a resident or a fellowship program at UT Southwestern. But, you know, I wanted to do my post-residency training at a different institution. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also that UT Southwestern was going through some changes in their Mm -hmm. fellowship as well. Um, And so that's how I ended up here at Baylor. You know, I like growing up and then even after college, like I've moved around about like every three to four years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've been able to adapt. But at the same time, I, you know, I built my life in Dallas and Mm -hmm. I was very comfortable there. So I think, you know, moving to Houston, while it's only like four hours away from Dallas, it still was difficult for me. Um, And then being in fellowship, I think it's a much smaller – fellowship mm, is a much smaller community. Yeah. So when I had, you know, like 71 other co-residents right. in my fellowship now, there are only six of us total. So going oh, from like 72 yeah. to 5 and you're not – you don't see them on a daily basis. You're not really working with them. Mm. You're mostly working directly with your attending. And so that also was a huge change. But, you know, I definitely appreciate um, getting that one more one-on-one time with the attending and mm. – now seeing like the these infertility patients and pursuing this career that I've been wanting to pursue my entire life um and then having you know never in my life I'm never gonna be 
able to have this training ever again. Um, and yeah. so I'm just trying to take advantage of that. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about this training then. Um, what led you to choosing, well, I guess your specialty, but then ultimately to this part with the fellowship in REI? When was that moment like, oh my God, this is what I want to do? And then leading up to here. Yeah, that's a really great question. So I, well, I chose OBGYN because I really loved the focus on women's health and building that relationship and really being involved in someone's life at a critical time in their lives, Um, like getting pregnant, being with them through their pregnancy, um, ultimately delivering their baby and having that kind of like lifelong relationship. Yeah. Um, And then also because it is a very procedural and surgically heavy Mm -hmm. uh, specialty. I realized that I really loved being in the operating room and operating in medical school. And then actually when I was in medical school, I did an REI away rotation Mm -hmm. at a hospital in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And so that was really my first exposure to REI. And I had never experienced it before, but I think you know, sitting, it's not just the women, you're treating and evaluating the couple as a whole. And so being able to build and establish that relationship with the couple Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, being a part of this critical time in their lives and being able to provide options where they otherwise would have never had. um, It's just like, it's very, very special. And then also, you know, REI, IVF, it's a very fast evolving field. It's very basic science and clinically research heavy. And so there's just so much room for expansion. There's so so much more that we can do now than we could do 10 years ago. But there's also so much more that we need to learn in in being able to treat these patients. I like your eyes are like lighting up as you talk. (laughs) So that's like cool to see that that's an exciting part for you. What does that look like when you get to interact with couples or I guess you can't really share stories but like I guess like moments within that part like that were more personal in like reminding yourself that this is where you're supposed to be or this is the right field that you chose yeah I think the you know really just appreciating every little thing and Mm -hmm. seeing how much of a impact or influence your communication response to your patients has on each individual Mm -hmm. does that make you feel pressured a lot when your words have so much power or I guess not yeah not as much pressure but I just feel I do feel like very lucky Mm. and special that I get to play this you know this role to introduce them to other things that they never knew like were possible um, or other options you know I think starting a family is it can be done in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean just having like a child of your own, right. you know. Um, and then especially with um, now with like third-party reproduction, mm-hmm. um, like surrogacy or same-sex couples who can't necessarily carry their own child. There mm-hmm. are so many other ways and options that they have. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think um, whether it be like a patient going undergoing IVF and mm-hmm. – Um, when you're doing your egg retrieval and getting more eggs than you anticipated, you know, that 
that in itself is like very exciting, exciting. and okay. mm-hmm. like, and then yeah I'm yeah assuming good <laughs> yes 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 very very good um mm-hmm. and then obviously when we when patients come in and get their like pregnancy hormone tests and we get a positive pregnancy mm-hmm. test that's always yeah I think every single individual who who has that experience it's a joy and an excitement for our entire team mm-hmm. not just the patient and then um you know even simple things like for example like patients with PCOS like mm-hmm. polycystic um ovary syndrome they don't know necessarily that they're not ovulating but mm-hmm. it can it can be a relatively simple thing to to treat mm-hmm. so i had a pa- we were at our um we have a endocrinology clinic at our county hospital at bentob and so some we'll see infertility patients there but we can't offer ivf we can only offer like very limited things like right. medications with like time timed intercourse and so she had been trying to get pregnant for many years we did the basic workup at our county hospital and we gave her a specific medication for PCOS patients. And she came back the next month and she was pregnant on her own, like just after the medication. Yeah. So just like those little victories, being able to provide hope and yeah. a future for uh, these patients who yeah. didn't know or like would have right, been like able to Right. Like to imagine that. some people who had PCOS like years ago and just like on their own were like defeated, right? Yes. But then now there is this like open door to like have an option or like figure out what they can do with you so that's like really exciting yes. to be on that mm-hmm. end wow. definitely cool um so to clarify someone who's probably like like me even though i'm married to a doctor and have in-law <laughs> doctors but like if i'm like medically a noob like what do like what exactly is like rei day-to-day like I, you do Ivy like you it's just it's anything like it's a couple comes to you shares oh we're struggling and then you talk it through so then you offer like you said IVF or certain words acronyms or whatnot like yeah so you know reproductive endocrinology and infertility so reproductive endocrinology um is kind of the evaluation of study of hormones related to fertility or reproduction. Mm -hmm. So historically in REI, um, it used to be much more endocrinology heavy when we didn't have all the IVF technology, when we weren't able to um, physically do IVF in the lab um, or have it be as efficient. Um, So we technically are trained and capable of seeing endocrinology patients. So if Mm. patients have like thyroid abnormalities or a pituitary tumor that's affecting their, their, their reproduction, Mm -hmm. we technically are able and should treat that. So Mm. during fellowship, I am doing training and um, working with endocrinology endocrinologists, pediatric endocrinologists. We also see like transgender patients um, Mm. and a lot of REI doctors will manage their hormones. So like Mm. estrogen and testosterone, they have that capability as well. So some people aren't even interested in getting pregnant. Some people just have some hormonal balance and want to be evaluated. And then some people that have PCOS Mm. who aren't trying to get pregnant, we also will manage that too. Yeah, because PCOS patients could go months to years without having like a period right. and that's not that we would recommend further evaluation right. for that because right. it can you can be at risk of other things mm. um and then the infertility side you know we've definitely come a long way so we we don't actually we as reproductive endocrinologists most of us don't 
manage the actual like egg and sperm in the lab. We have a whole team. So we have uh. embryologists that work in the lab and we work very closely with them. Mm-hmm. The egg and sperm you cannot see with the naked eye. So all of it is done under the microscope. Mm-hmm. So day to day, you know, most of us will spend three to four days in clinic. And then the other portion, we're doing procedures. Mm-hmm. So egg retrievals um, in IVF, um, intrauterine inseminations or IUI, which can be done in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and then further evaluation can include like uh, hysterosalpingograms or HSGs, which is uh-huh. it's like an, it's like an yeah, X-ray yeah. dye test that like looks at your cavity and sees if your tubes are open. Uh, and so we okay. really do all of that workup. So we'll do the entire workup, manage and treat the patient, um, and then like monitor all of their cycles. Yeah. So yeah, There's it's a, a lot. lot yeah. Do. Typically, the retrievals are they're done first thing in the morning because they're very time sensitive. Mm. So patients are you know are on their IVF medications, and then when you give them their trigger injection, mm-hmm. we time it to where we do the retrieval about thirty six hours after the trigger. So uh, it's very time yeah, sensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you finish fellowship, will you like then choose even in between? RE or I or is it like it'll just all be encompassing in your practice that's a good question I think it depends on your comfort level of seeing endocrinology patients Mm -hmm. and because a lot of these fellowship programs are straying more away from endocrinology and more IVF Uh Um, I am lucky in that I am you know I'm at I work at Texas Children's at the women's pavilion and so oh that's yeah where I think I delivered yeah 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 for, yeah it's a great hospital yeah. <laughs> um and yeah Texas Children's if yeah. anything happens you yeah. know, to your baby they have um a yeah a high level NICU so I think yeah. that's so important but we because it's an academic institution we mm. get referrals from not just in the city or state but mm-hmm. we see a lot of patients that are out of the con- come from out of the country mm. and so we see a lot of very rare pathologies that come mm. through and so and then even working with like pediatric endocrinologists and adult endocrinologists there's just a breadth of things that we see that I don't think most quote, normal fellowships that aren't affiliated with the academic Mm. institution see on like a day-to-day basis. You know, after that, I think whatever I decide to choose or whichever, whatever someone when they finish fellowship chooses to pursue, I would say academic medicine probably offers more of a variety of patients um, because typically, you know, they're getting referrals from other places and so they may see potentially more difficult cases. Whereas in private practice, they, I think, are leaning more towards or moving more towards doing more infertility things and less endocrinology things. Mm, I see. So I think you have that option to kind of cater your interests and your your strengths into what you want your clinical practice to be. Mm, Got it. Wow. I guess this is like question maybe that you could share with the listeners of like, if there are any common misconceptions about infertility or like common advice you find yourself giving to, I wrote women, but like couples who are going through this struggle together. You know, I think a lot more women and couple now are a lot more than previously are choosing to get evaluated for Mm -hmm. infertility. Previously, you know, a lot of women and couples, they were embarrassed. A lot of people thought infertility is 
a taboo and right. they thought that something may be wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, women, I think, put a lot of blame on themselves that they weren't able to get pregnant. But really, we quote about like a third of infertility is unexplained. So mm. we do a full evaluation and everything that we can see on our standpoint comes back normal. A third is some sort of female female cause and then a third is about a male male cause. So it's really, oh, it's yeah, really it's pretty evenly, evenly distributed. Mm. And so I think um, a lot of women don't know that. And so yeah. a lot of times they blame it on themselves. But people should know that, you know, it's nobody's fault. You shouldn't be embarrassed about trying to get pregnant and not having any success um, and that really that us as reproductive endocrinology and fertility specialists you know we're here this is like our job like we will not judge um, yeah. and this is kind of a place of safety where you can mm-hmm. open up and we can just you know just get more information whether you choose to pursue anything beyond that but at least just provide information I also think you know a lot of couples they first will see their general OBGYN and we there are certain specific recommendations just national guidelines that we recommend so waiting like six months to a year depending on how yeah how long you've been trying but I would say you know everyone's timing is their own yeah. so if you feel like you want to wait longer or if you feel like you want to be seen sooner. So, you know, let's say you've just been trying for a couple months, but you are feeling anxious and you want answers. Mm -hmm. I think that then would be a good time Mm -hmm. for you to see an infertility specialist. I I think that a lot of times people put numbers and, you know, you're tracking your ovulation and you're like, I've, you know, I'm ovulating now. Or if you're not ovulating at all, I think, um, I think it's really just, each person's own personal journey and when they feel like they do or don't need to be evaluated I think that's their time Mm. I want to kind of bring it back to what your dad had shared on his reservations of like starting a family or like what that looks like and how that has been for you in the sense of being in this very competitive and demanding field and then what that has looked like with maybe potentially in the future with your own hopes of that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, I think because family is so important to me, I've always eventually wanted to have a family. As I've gone into this specialty, I think it's become more aware for me personally how like family building, how important that is and how important it is to kind of evaluate and assess the situation just because I know that fertility preservation or, you know, if I am not married and I'm single and I just want to freeze my eggs, that is becoming a more, that is a viable option. Whereas, you know, five, 10 years ago, we still considered it experimental, but now we consider that a routine viable option, not just for women that want to, that are just electively wanting to do it, but, you know, for like cancer survivors or other, other patients who, let's say they're, for god forbid like losing their ovaries or something that definitely is an option Mm. for them and also a lot of data recently has coming out come out that female physicians are about twice as likely to suffer from infertility compared to the general population so it's about one in four female physicians will suffer from infertility because of the stress or like i think a lot of women in medicine do prioritize their work right so for me example you know when I was in residency I didn't have a lot of time dating Mm. was not my priority Mm. um like any free time that I had would be spent with my family and friends and even now I mean it's a priority like I want to start a family but still my priority is work right so that I think has 
made me realize, you know, I am considering freezing my eggs, Mm. um, especially, you know, when I'm in fellowship and I have a little bit more time. And Mm. so that's something I think being in this field, being a female in medicine, I think that's something that is important to me, being able to like make that decision for myself. And um, I mean, while it is, I mean, you have to have money to be able to pay for it, unfortunately. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> a lot of insurances, like, don't cover it. Mm-hmm. But I also, you know what I see, because I'm at Texas Children at Women's Pavilion, I see many female physicians mm-hmm. who have to go through through this. Right. Um, and I don't, I mean, it's probably emphasized more because I'm at a medical center and I'm right, seeing right, all the right. physicians and stuff. But yeah, it's made me realize that, you know, being in this position just has, yeah, made it more obvious to me that I probably need to be freezing my eggs. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like that's a decision a lot of female physicians have to face. It's just like that crossroads of like the importance of this work and the amount of time that you've sacrificed into this field. And then like, I guess the, what society tells us of a timeline with whatever that is. So I'm, I even hearing this makes me excited and glad that there are these options that are available. Yeah. I mean, even if it's always like, of course it's always an option. Like I don't think like our, our, you know, in residency or fellowship, we're not going to tell you not to get pregnant, but right. Right. You know, our maternity leave is very, it's limited. It's terrible. I worked with surgery residents, it's yes yes it's six weeks yeah and being an trained OBGYN pregnancy is something you cannot predict whatsoever Mm -hmm. we can't tell you when you're going to go into labor we can't tell you if you're going to deliver preterm we can't tell you if you're going to need to get induced so Mm -hmm. it really just it's hard to plan and being in medical school and residency when you're continuously working these hours or studying for a certain board it's hard to try and plan like a pregnancy. Obviously, if it happens, you know, mm-hmm. spontaneously or if you're not expecting <laughs> it, you have to just figure it out. But yeah. for me, I very much, and I'm sure a lot of other women, I'm very much a planner. And if I can plan it, mm-hmm. um, my plan would be to start a family probably after I finish my training. Mm-hmm. Do you, okay, do any of these resonate with you? Perfectionism, imposter syndrome, or burnout? I don't know if they do or not, but. I was curious if any of those are like stick out. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, definitely all of them do. Uh But I definitely identify myself as being a perfectionist, Mm. especially since I've started working with patients. Mm. Because, you know, at work, I think I think that's what you should strive for perfection, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. any mistake could be detrimental to the care of patients. And so. I think that's great to strive for that at work. Obviously, nobody is perfect. But I think if you strive for that, hopefully there isn't anything detrimental that you would miss. The struggle that I have had over the past few years, like since I've started residency, is having that mentality and that mindset at work, it's been hard for me to separate work from my personal life. So Mm. a lot of times I'll find myself, you know, go, go, like, being very trying to be very efficient and at work and trying to have everything quote perfect Um, and then in my own life finding myself trying to be perfect Mm. in every way Um, and 
you know, like nobody is perfect and mm. everyone you're going to run into like struggles and issues. And um, honestly, I just feel like it's given me more anxiety, if mm. anything. And so f- after finishing residence, like being in fellowship, I think it's really been a good time just because the hours are much better um, and the pace is a lot slower than what residency was. It's mm. really allowed me to self-reflect and try and kind of separate try and separate the two which I don't know if I'll ever be able to do but at least make a mindful effort of trying to do that Mm. Um, you're also Enneagram three which is like achiever and I I feel like a lot of achievers you know like strive for perfection in in what they do too but anyways I think that's interesting the more I hear of are those similar ESTP I don't know if they're because like I don't think there's a an official like crossover or correlation between the two uh, personality tests but I feel like the the descriptions of them seem like they fit well together um yeah yeah yeah, but i'm not i would say it's i think threes are feelers they're actually more like feeling based but your estp means you're more logic based oh and so that would be interesting if i like we did a whole nother episode on like just your personality personality that would be interesting because you seem to go through like um, logic and reasoning sometimes in, in the Myers-Briggs, like, like your behavior, but internally or intrinsically, you might be more like heart-based. Yeah, know? actually that does kind of make sense because I do feel, well, and as I've been aging, I do feel like my personality, maybe certain traits are changing, but at mm. work, I think that, you know, my ESTP is very accurate. Yeah. Like I am very, yeah, I strive to be, you know, great at when I'm right. you know when I'm doing my job and all of these things but in my personal life I do feel like I am more emotional and mm-hmm. more of a feeler which and I think that also gives me the ability when I am at work to be more empathetic yeah, and compassionate towards that my patients yeah taps in. yeah which I think is important especially yeah. in this field yeah interesting okay to end the medical journey what would be one final piece of advice you would give to either your past self or someone maybe like you going through this journey right now well we kind of discussed this earlier but I think really embracing every moment that you're in so Mm. even if you're going through something um, that you you know find very difficult whether it be like going through a rotation during medical school that you're not necessarily passionate about just remembering to be in the moment and Mm. really appreciate and take advantage of that situation and the people around you because you will never again have that. And, you know, any failures that you undergo, um, just keep in mind that everything does happen for a reason Mm. and all these failures and accomplishments are going to contribute to your character and Mm. your life path, both personally and um, from a career standpoint. Well, you're graduating next year. Yeah. Finally. I know. I know. <laughs> it's going to be so interesting. I feel like, what are you going to do with yourself after you have yeah, like, so this I'm, freedom? Yeah, I'm interviewing for jobs right now. But the thing, yeah, it's like interesting. The thing is, it's not, you know, interviewing for jobs and talking to my friends who are out, like in some ways going directly into private practice is more work than fellowship because uh, in fellowship, I feel like I have a lot of very protected time. I'm in the basic mm. science research lab for eight, I'm in the midst of an 18 months like cycle. And I, yeah, I feel very supported. Mm. I have the guidance of like my researcher who has been doing this for many, many years and he's very patient with me. So um, I'm a little bit nervous, but I am definitely excited. 
I'm excited yeah. too. Before we wrap up, I guess just so our listeners can hear, I guess the flip side, all the things I feel like I get from you, which is like the personal side. And today I finally learned the medical side. Um, what are some things that you feel like are define you beyond your MD degree? Um, I think, you know, identify myself in all aspects, like a daughter, a sister, a friend. Mm. I have a boyfriend, so I'm a girlfriend. <laughs> like, And, you know, besides being a doctor for my patients, I think all the things that I love. So, you know, my family, my friends, enjoying my time outside of the hospital. Um, mm. I really enjoy like traveling and cooking and culturally just discovering other things that um, I've never been exposed to. I mean, I think traveling is a great way yeah. to do that. And so, you know, I definitely, while I take a lot of pride in my work, I try not to identify myself yeah. as just an REI doctor, yeah. um, but definitely, and hopefully one day identifying myself as a mother and a wife, yeah, you know, that yeah. obviously is the ultimate goal. And then um, being able to teach my children yeah. what my parents taught me yeah. and ultimately leaving some sort of legacy. Mm, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just, I think you do a good job of not letting this be the only thing that defines you or something. So I feel like that's something I'm taking away from today from how I've gotten to know yeah, you. I, yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely hard. But I also like, yeah, another huge thing I would say is my Christian faith. Mm. I grew up going to church uh, with my parents. My parents are very, have always been involved. They're still mm. very involved in church. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, medical school residency, it was really def difficult to maintain physically going to church yeah. because I would work a lot most weekends. Right. Um, and then, um, you know, it's difficult being around people who don't necessarily share the same faith. You yeah. sometimes become influenced by that. But I think remembering that there is a greater purpose yeah. and my sole purpose in life and the afterlife is not to become a doctor. I right. think that actually takes away like I feel like a lot of the pressure I mean, really just makes being a doctor more enjoyable mm. and less of a pressure um, to have to please everyone and to have some sort of outcome. Yeah. Mm. you're very good at putting things in in perspective <laughs> so positive um i don't know if you have an answer to this one but we'll see if it's if you do if you could be a fruit what would you be <laughs> if you don't have one we can skip it well i love fruit so that's like i was like yeah i've thought about this before i'm like oh what fruit would i be yeah. actually a fruit that i discovered recently um from my boyfriend chris because he's vietnamese like they Ooh, like a lot of like yeah, tropical yeah. fruits um i actually really identify with a dragon fruit oh okay yeah Why? i've never because they're very, you know, they're like pink. So they're very like vibrant yeah. on the outside. Um, but then, you know, you cut open the inside and it's, it was very different than what I expected to be on the inside. I mean, obviously other than the pictures, <laughs> but it's like white yeah. and like, yeah, with the little black spots. So it's like, I'm more like um, vibrant on the inside, but I can be like more sweet and mm. loving on the inside and soft. Yeah. yeah. yeah Sometimes yeah. I can come off like a little bit aggressive and harsh like my my family always says like sometimes I can come off like a little bit aggressive but I think ultimately like I you know I think I am very like loving yeah. and internally like you were saying yeah. earlier like I like to feel the heart you have yeah the heart exactly type. exactly mm. inside mm. see now when we eat dragon fruit we can think <laughs> of Monica <laughs> Okay, I'm going to keep that question for future guests. Um, all right, I think we will wrap it up here. Um, before we close, I'm going to play a quick superlatives game with just 10 quick questions where I say a question and you tell me which 
which oh, sister? Oh, oh, okay, okay. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. Um, I don't want to so, offend anyone. <laughs> are you okay with this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, which, by the way, we mentioned earlier. So, you come from a household of four daughters, mm-hmm. and it's Amy, Tiffany, and then you. Mm-hmm. All pretty much like a year to a year and a half apart. Sounds yes. Like. Yes. And then Elizabeth, who's six years younger than you. Yes. And all of you guys are in in the healthcare field ultimately, yes. which is all kind different. Of nice yeah. To really, all in yeah. the healthcare field, but all different things. So you guys just touched all the bases. There's yes. Amy's a dentist, dentist, and then Tiffany's a pharmacist. Yes. You are a doctor, and then Elizabeth just graduated. Nursing? She just graduated nursing school and just started. She's working, working oh in gosh. Dallas. She's in Dallas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you want to end up in Dallas? Potentially. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe we'll. Yeah. <laughs> I know, maybe we'll be. That's, so, what I was think, that's what I was thinking. Of, yeah, yeah, you'll be, yeah. I'm, okay. Yeah, mine okay. will be in a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Looking, yeah. Well, I'll wait for you. <laughs> okay, so it's just 10 questions and then I say it quickly and then you just answer with the first name that pops to mind. Okay, okay. <laughs> Who's the favorite child? Oh, that's, a, no, that's a <laughs> tough one. Maybe Amy. Oh, oh, yeah. But my parents really, it's, I have talked about this recently, but my parents like really don't show favoritism. I know your family is Alex. <laughs> like, they yeah. will die to the grave. He's a boy, right? He's a and boy. say, no, no, no. But I mean, like, it's I mean, I think we're all the favorites, but I think Amy holds a special place in the heart because she's the firstborn. Oh, mm. Who did the best in school? Tiffany. Okay. Who would be the most popular? Me. <laughs> Who takes the longest to get ready? Tiffany. But she's gotten much better. She's gotten much better. <laughs> okay, how better. long are we talking? She like, so, well, Tiffany was always a tomboy growing up, oh, which so, is interesting. interesting. She was always a tomboy, but then, and then me and Amy, Elizabeth was still young, so she yeah. wasn't doing like hair and makeup and all that stuff, but I think we really like feminized her. Um, so in college, she always took the longest. Because I don't she know, was like adjusting to that life? I think she was like, tr- yeah, she was like trying to do her like yeah. makeup and her hair, and so it would take her a little bit more time, um, but she's gotten much better now she's we're kind of all kind of on the same now. wavelength now interesting who's most likely to be the one to call at 3 a.m drunk who call who elizabeth you <laughs> <laughs> i guess you i don't know Probably, yeah me too yeah i would definitely no do i think i guess call you oh oh yeah 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 <laughs> i okay. would also do that yeah i think i would i would be the one of my family <laughs> um who's the best athlete elizabeth yeah she's pretty and good. i think well i would well, I would say either you or Alex. Oh, of our family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's different. It was, my brother went to Harvard for soccer, yeah, so yeah, like, you yeah. know, who can compete? But yeah. you know, but other than soccer, he has like a back problem now. So you know, when we get older, the <laughs> ranks might change. Exactly. Who is most likely to be arrested? Oh, everyone's good. Yeah, everyone's good. Nobody <laughs> good. Your parents touch yeah, yeah, all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, who has the best taste in music? A l- well, we all have different tastes. I think probably mm-hmm. Elizabeth and Amy also has really good taste. My brother-in-law has really good taste in music. Oh. Amy's, yeah, Amy's husband, Steve. Okay. He likes to collect records. Like she got him a record player. To collect? To collect. collect. Oh, oh, to I was collect. Like, what? what? To they collect records. <laughs> Clearly, I would not get this answer. Oh, okay. And then Amy, she played piano. So she is, uh, yeah, she's yeah. really into classical music and has a pretty good sense of music. Did she learn from your mom? She did not get piano lessons from my mom my mom was like absolutely, absolutely not, not. <laughs> but she did i think have like her her introduction to uh-huh. piano was because of my mom mm, i never knew your mom was a piano teacher yeah and like, she played piano for our church oh yeah. in oregon or also in pinneri i mean i not i, like I, I don't think pinneri pinneri i think when she first came like just like when they were yeah. absent yeah 
But when she was in Houston, she played for the church in Houston. Oh, I think that's what my that's really cool. what my a dad's parents, your, yeah, uh, like yeah, uh, my dad and <laughs> his parents liked about my mom. Oh. And then in yeah, when in Oregon too, she did I play. See. Who's most likely to laugh at the wrong moment? Amy. Oh, yeah, she laughs. She just laughs at. Everything. I only know. I think your laughter is like the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, but you also have like social iq or whatever i feel like you wouldn't laugh at oh, the wrong social, moment yeah, that's but true, that's you have true. the funniest laugh amy ever. just yeah i think she just thinks like tiffany and i when we were younger tiffany and i would have like laughing competitions like we would try and make her laugh it oh. was like a competition between <laughs> yeah it was bizarre um and then who would spend all their money on something like stupidly huge probably me Mm. <laughs> yeah i see i see i don't know if i'd ever have the willpower to do it but yeah out of my all my sisters are like pretty financially me or elizabeth i guess <laughs> interesting well so you have it the answers of the four chung sisters um anything else you want to share or leave behind before we sign off um no that was so much fun yeah Thank i'm you. so glad we finally got to do that i feel like you know our parents are obviously friends for a reason and yeah. i think our family background is similar yeah. and just the fact that they, you know you mm-hmm. have three children in your family and four children in mine and we're all like we're of similar, similar age. ages yeah, yeah. Um, that's true yeah so I'm glad we finally yeah. got to do this I feel like that's like as as I listen to you right like I think obviously your story is so unique and your journey is yours just as every doctor's journey is their own but I think like as I get to hear it's like realizing the connections we have and like even being able to resonate with like you know parents who who did instill faith and how that still even when we go through our ups and downs and we stray away and like it's hard to stay in like me personally um I think that's also like a connection and then yeah yeah. definitely I had okay sorry I had a quick question sorry when you were growing up in Oregon and it was like very small Asian community or Korean community slash Asian community like how was that for you like do you think that was it helped you to like not assimilate but like be comfortable with all races or like is that something you feel like you wished was different because I feel like for me like I grew up in Dallas where it was like it was very not at school it was diverse and also clicky based on race at school but like I had this huge Korean community that I felt like fed into my identity a lot and also something I always crave because I feel like I didn't separate that but I'm curious like what that would have been like since you were like in Oregon which yeah. I feel like I didn't hear about that state till yeah later. exactly what I'm really grateful for I think so what I wasn't grateful for when I was younger but we within Oregon just like like it would be like from Plano to Frisco yeah. like we would move from like every few years my parents would decide that my mom was like oh I love this house like let me move oh. here and she bu- or built a house like in Twelton, which is ultimately where I went to high school and so I was moving schools like every three to four years and so like from elementary to middle school to high school I had to switch schools and so I think even culturally but also just the fact that I had to um, adapt like very yeah. quickly and meet all these people and be able to try and relate to them and mesh in. And, you know, I, like, am a very social person, so I wanted a lot of friends. And so I think that really helped me to develop confidence and and adaptability. But I think that, you know, for a long time, I did – obviously, I'm Korean-American, but sometimes I, you know, I think being in a predominantly non-Asian society did sometimes make me not appreciate my heritage as much Mm -hmm. because I saw all my peers around me and, you know, they have 
blonde hair, blue mm. eyes or like brown hair. Mm. Um, and they just didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. And so I think I saw that sometimes as a negative and that mm. I wanted to be like these other people around me. And like, you know, their families really – or families come from completely different places. Yeah. Like when people come to my house, you know, there'd be like kimchi in the fridge. Right, and right, right, right. That they had never – now yeah. kimchi is like Korean. Yeah, Korean, it's trending. Yeah, Korean <laughs> culture right now is trending, which is so wild yeah. to me. Like people are like – there's kimchi at like Central Market right. or Whole Foods and like – that was never like a popular thing like mm. when you know when we were growing up and mm. so i think sometimes i would be embarrassed about mm. that um but obviously now like looking back um i realize that you know it's just something to like embrace rather yeah. than to be ashamed about yeah 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 that, that, I feel like that's a really good person. I feel like it helped with your em- empathy too or like yeah. being able, like you're saying adaptability and then the empathy strength you were sharing too. But anyways, yeah. I was curious about that since, yeah, that's a connection we don't share in how like yeah. we're, like the the place or location we grew yeah, up. So. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Okay, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, Monica, for joining in. Um, we're excited to celebrate you next year when you officially graduate. Yay! Yeah, and, and you can um, have me back anytime. Yeah, <laughs> and kind of um, see what other reflections you might have or share about all the other amazing things you've also done that are not just your doctor Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Okay, well, thanks, Sinji. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Color Commentary. Wow, I loved getting to sit down with Monica and share a conversation over things I never took the time to ask about. For some, this could sound like a typical model minority story, but the reality is that a lot of us carry this identity in following a career in healthcare or even in law. Whether it was to simply achieve the dream for our immigrant parents or like Monica's passion to discover what she's fully capable of, I want to take the time to celebrate the many of you who have taken this long route in your professional path. I know these years have been very long and difficult, but what you are doing is so admirable and I hope you can find nuggets of hope and inspiration in Monica's story just like I did. And here's a special shout out to the women of color who are breaking barriers and redefining what's possible for us in this world. We appreciate the sacrifices you have made and the obstacles you have faced. You are my hero and happy Women's History Month. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you never have to miss another. Go to at Kohler Commentary to comment your key takeaways and join the email list to share what you would like to hear about next. This is Unji Kohler signing off for today. See you next time.